going on Facebook. Okay, Hare Krishna, everybody. Welcome. Um, so I'm going to start with Mangala Charan prayers, as always, and then we'll get into today's topic. So, Om Manjana Timirandasya, Nyananjana Shalakaya, Chakshurum Militum Yena, Tasmai Sri Guru Venamaha. Siddhanto Palasara Nityarasikam, Hang Sang Vilasatmakam, Adaryakya Sadama Sevakadanam Vishramba Bhakti Pradam Yakya Yati Vachakshanam Vagavito Vashishta Shakya Sada Vande Hung Triparari Namakayating Sri Bhakti Vedantinam Vancha Kalpatarubyascha Kripa Sindhubyevacha Patitanam Bhavanebyo Vaishnavebyo Namo Namaha Ajanulambita Bujau Kanaka Vatatao Sankirtanaika Patarao Kamalaya Takshao Vishwambara Dvijavarao Yukatarma Palao Vande Jagapriya Karo Karuna Vatarao Vande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sahodito Kodadaye Pushpavanto Chitro Shando Tamonudao Vande Hung Shri Ramakrishna Abhaya Charana Sukao Sukadao Paramananda Sundaro Subalao Kriyao Hey Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dina Bandhu Jagapate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gorangi Radhe Vrindavaneshwari Vrishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vandana Koriti Mui Kata Shakti Dhari Tamo Bodhito Shemui Damba Matra Kori Tatapi Mukera Bhagya Manera Ulas so, Hare Krishna. Um, so, uh, I'll, I'll get right into the topics for today. Um, well, I'll give a little little summary of last time um, for those those who might not not have who might be tuning in for the first time. But we've been discussing um, refining our desires in the school of Uttama Bhakti that we find ourselves in in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's school, right? So um, last time we looked at uh, qualification and, and we were discussing how really to the degree that our motivation of our practice is for prema or the attainment of selfless loving service to Krishna, you, you could say that's the degree to which we're qualified as students of Uttama Bhakti. So that might not mean that we're free of material desires but we aren't practicing our bhakti to fulfill them. So we saw the contrast of uh, Rupa Goswami he gave with different kinds of devotees who were approaching the Lord, but yet they had some ulterior motive in the form of uh, material acquisition or liberation, such as um, Dhruva Maharaj, Gajendra, Shanakar and the Sages and the Four Kumaras. Um, and of course, as they were approaching Krishna, they're also glorious souls themselves, not that we should think of them disparagingly, uh, as is the case with any, any devotee, any kind of devotee, even those outside our own school or tradition who might have different spiritual ideals. However, 
Um, Krishna being who he is, uh, all attractive, he charmed all those kinds of devotees enough that their motivations changed. Um, so the point being that any contact with bhakti is extremely powerful, but it does require a refining of our motivations and attitudes to enter the spirit of the 1111 verse we've been discussing that defines Uttama Bhakti, this famous Anyabi Lashita Shunyam verse. So we, we also may have initially come with mixed motivations ourselves. Um, you know, the four types of motivations Krishna gives as to in the Gita as to why devotees approach approaching. But as we hear more and practice more, uh, these motivations become more and more refined. Um, and they'll continue to be, become more and more refined. But, but wherever we are, e even if at times uh, we're haunted by our material conditioning, if, our, if the goal of our practice is Krishna, Krishna Prema, then we're considered in the school of Uttama Bhakti. And, and the category of uh, Kanishta Adhikari, this has been graciously created for, a, for those of us uh, who still have some heart cleansing to do uh, so that we aren't distracted from, let's say, steady focused practice or Nishta, um, which is our interim goal. So hearing the spiritual ideals, this can shine a light into where we are, as well as providing motivation for um, deepening our own practice or commitment to the path. So we also spent, in that context, we also spent a little time on this concept of yukta vairagya or dovetailing to explore how we can refine our desire to go back to Godhead or from liberation from material suffering in general. So one way is uh, developing a more refined understanding of what Godhead is. Um, in that it's not a place for freedom from our own material problems, although that's, that might be a side effect, of course, it is a side effect, but, but rather we, we, we understand that it's a place uh, where only selfless service to Krishna takes place. So the, the best kind of company and a state of consciousness that's worth aspiring for. To get there, though, uh, we, we can also dovetail uh, what might be there in, in the form of a desire for liberation by praying to be liberated from, from the obstacles we face in our own spiritual practice. So we, we see great examples of this kind of prayer in the songs of our Vaishnavacharyas. Um, a personal favorite is Prema Bhakti Chandraka by Srila Narutam Das Thakur, for example. But there are many, many songs, many bhajans. And so we can pray for, for the kind of steadiness one finds in the stage, stage of Nishta, which is our interim goal or sub-goal in, in the context of pursuing prema. So um, we're desiring to be liberated from our obstacles, and we know the way to do, do so is through the power of bhakti. The bhakti is more powerful than all these things, even all the obstacles we face. Um, so today, I'd like to continue exploring this um, desire to be liberated from our obstacles, but from another perspective. So um, as we discussed previously, all are qualified for bhakti uh, if they have some faith in bhakti and they, they aren't practicing or we aren't practicing uh, with a desire for material enjoyment or liberation. Um, it's not that we have to do something before to become qualified, like another yogic process or another, another kind of process to gain qualification. But because we've been touched by the ideal, uh, by the grace of sadhus, uh, this is our qualification. So in, in verse, uh, moving on in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, in verse 1 to 61, Rupa Goswami quotes from the Padma Purana, um, where it says, all are qualified for Hari Bhakti, O King. 
So uh, if we've been touched in the way that most, if not all of us have by Lord Chaitanya's school, then what is it that we need to be doing? If all are qualified, you know, we've been touched, uh, what is it we need to be doing, even if we may have some material conditioning? So in verses uh, 1 to 63 to 64, um, the verse says, And it is said, the person qualified for bhakti is at fault if he fails to perform all the important angas of bhakti, or limbs of bhakti. But he is not at fault for failing to perform the duties of varna and ashram. If he, by chance, happens to perform some sin, there is no atonement prescribed for him. This is the opinion of those who know the secret of the Vaishnav scriptures. So a few things uh, to say on this verse. First is that if we've been touched by bhakti, our real duty is performing the angas of bhakti or the limbs of bhakti, the practices of bhakti. It's not that we need something more. Of course, we, we, we might have other responsibilities in the world and other things may assist us also, um, but we, we should know and deepen our faith in, in the power of direct bhakti practices themselves, like shravanam, kirtanam, and so on. And especially when performed with as pure an intention as we can muster from wh where we are. Um, so we'll get more into the limbs of bhakti or the practices of bhakti in, in, in the next session of this series. But in the context of refining our desire, I want or motivations, I, I want to explore this point um, that even if by chance one performs sin, there is no atonement for him. So in his commentary to this verse, Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, he goes on to explain, if they commit forbidden acts because of influence of previous Vaishnav Aparad, atonement is not required since these pure devotees do not have a natural tendency for sinful actions. Bhakti alone acts as atonement. This is the conclusion of the Vaishnav scriptures. So this is something I think worth exploring in terms of refining our desire, because I think sometimes with statements like this and similar ones, there can be extremes in our approach to bhakti that may slow our progress more than necessary. So um, on the one side, sometimes due to being overwhelmed by our material conditioning, not yet being at the stage of nishta, we, we may fail to live up to the ideals of bhakti. And it can easily be uh, cause a disheartened attitude toward the practice. Um, you know, we might, might feel hypocritical, you know, why, why practice, these kind of things. So there, there can be a covering in the form of forgetting how powerful bhakti is and how it's far stronger than any of our material conditioning. And this is why it's important to know the map, uh, as our Guru Maharaj sometimes says, you know, uh, it's important to know the map, to, to know what, what is going on in the background. For example, like we explored last week, the, the karmas are gradually burnt up the more we make progress. The acts of bhakti themselves are burning up the innumerable seeds of karma that we have in our karmic bank. So we'll explore that idea more shortly. But even if one has found themselves distracted from bhakti by their material conditioning, uh, the point being made here is the solution is to pick oneself back up and take shelter of bhakti, not, not of anything else. Um, so again, as a side note, uh, other things may assist us. For example, um, if one has a serious addiction, let's say, professional help may be required. You know, um, It's not just a case of just chant Prabhu, you know, just chant and it all will be okay. 
Um, but it, but, but it's in the context of Uttama Bhakti. That is, it's with this understanding that we we might take assistance from other things to become more balanced. Let's say so we can become more steady in the practices of bhakti. That's still our our goal, so to speak. Um, not so to speak. It is our goal. <laughs> uh, so on 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 the other side, and another 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 reason that refining is um, important is sometimes it's easy to take these kind of statements as a license to justify when we waver from the path, as if it's not any sort of problem to gradually be worked on and not working to overcome the hindrances. Um, sometimes we may try to justify the attachments, even using scripture, like we saw Arjuna doing at the start of the Gita, rather than just humbly recognizing where we are on the map. Um, we, maybe we are at a place where we're not ready to give up certain attachments and these kind of things. That's where we are on the map. Um, but but it can be it can be a hindrance to try to justify those things uh, or, or even change the philosophy um, rather than just humbly accepting this is where I am and I know how I must act at this stage on the map. So th this is the kind of mentality we also need to refine, these two extremes. So in the spirit of encouragement, we should know that there's never any loss uh, in attempting tr to traverse this path of Uttama Bhakti, no matter how strong our material conditioning may be. So in verse 1266, um, Rupa Goswami, he quotes from the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam with verse uh, 1517 from the Srimad Bhagavatam. If someone gives up his occupational duties and works in Krishna consciousness and then falls down on account of not completing his work, what loss is there on his part? Moreover, what can one gain if he performs his occupational duties perfectly but does not worship the Lord? And Jiva Goswami, Srila Jiva Goswami, he says in his commentary, what misfortune can there be for a person who has begun, begun bhakti even if he was born in a low family. There is no loss at all if he does not complete bhakti because the impressions, impressions of bhakti continue unbroken in future lives. So don't become despondent if um, material conditioning overwhelms you. E even if you feel like a hypocrite, um, what better thing to do than to take shelter of the holy name and practices of bhakti with confidence that these things will also fall away in the due course of time? Because if even mixed devotees, remember we, we spoke about mixed devotees last week, if even mixed devotees gained so much by bhakti with a completely different motivation to their practice, they had a completely different motivation than prema, that wasn't their goal. So how much, how much more powerful must the bhakti be that's done with, with a motivation of being steady in the culture of uttama bhakti? We know that in time, by practicing bhakti, uh, it will burn up all those influences that are hindering our advancement. So in his Madhurya uh, Kadambini, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, he explains how one who has taken up this path and is sincerely trying to come to Prema, and maybe for, for most of us, Nishta along the way, uh, we will face all sorts of obstacles before that. Uh, and, and one of these is known as Vishaya Sangara, or battling attachment to the objects of the senses. So uh, in, in, in Madhurya Kadambini, uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says, thereafter, Vishaya Sangara, or battling with attachment to the objects of the senses, is described. Scripture states that for a person whose heart is tainted with desire for sense enjoyment, 
To become absorbed in bhakti to Bhagavan Sri Krishna is distant and seemingly impossible, just as an object placed in the West cannot be found by a seeker traveling East. How can he ever obtain it? Upon seeing such a statement from scripture, a devotee practicing bhakti determines all these materialistic tendencies to enjoy the objects of the senses are forcibly dragging me toward them and dim diminishing my attachment to performing bhajan. Therefore, I will abandon all these materialistic tendencies and vow to take complete shelter of the chanting of the holy name. Yet, even after resolving to renounce enjoying sense objects, from time to time he is cheated by them and ends up enjoying them. As it is said, being incapable of rel relinquishing material sense pleasure, my devotee enjoys sense objects, feeling resentment and guilt. Srimad Bhagavatam 11.20.27-28 The sadhaka at the stage of Ishaya Sangara fits this description from Shastra spoken by Bhagavan. The sadhaka battles with his material tendency to enjoy the sense objects he enjoyed previously. Sometimes he emerges victorious and sometimes he meets with defeat at their hands. Because this stage of bhajana kriya involves a battle with the sense objects, it is appropriately called vishaya sangara or war with sense pleasure. So I can imagine many of us uh, can, can relate to that <laughs> a lot. Um, so uh, this verse being referred to in 1120, 27 to 28, uh, that uh, Srila Thakur referred to, um, goes as follows, as Krishna speaking, I am speaking of an aspiring devotee who has become detached from fruitive activities, for he knows them to cause sorrow. He has developed faith in the narrations of my pastimes, and he knows desires for sense enjoyment to be the emblem of misery. Although he knows this as fact, he is unable to abandon sense enjoyment. Even though such a practitioner sometimes ends up engaging in sense enjoyment, he should know in his heart of hearts that it leads to misery. He should sincerely repent for having performed such activities and understand them to be misfortunes of his own doing. At the same time, he should continue to perform bhajan of me with faith, determination and love in order to extricate himself from this predicament. And so in his commentary, Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, he says, in these two verses, the preliminary behavior of those qualified to practice bhakti is described. The bhakti sadhaka may know that although the sense pleasures resulting from having a spouse, children and a family are actually sources of suffering, he is unable to renounce them. He views the objects of sense enjoyment as causes of sorrow, and with a greatly distressed heart, he makes this firm resolve in favor of his devotion. Let my attachment to my family and home die, or let it not. Let millions upon millions of obstacles come in the way of my devotional practice, or let them not. If I have to suffer in hell because of my offenses, let it be, or let lust plague me. But I will never give up bhakti. Even if the creator, Brahma, approaches me in person and orders me to abandon my performance of bhajan to pursue monistic knowledge, jnan, or fruitive activity, karma, I will never do so. So, even if we are haunted at times by our material conditioning, 
even if it seems like an insurmountable mountain. We want to refine our desires in this way, becoming more and more attached to our bhakti practices. This is another reason why a text like the Gita is so important to understand, the Bhagavad Gita. That very early on in the Gita, Krishna is making the point that even the pleasurable things in this world will eventually lead to sorrow because of our attachment to them and their temporary nature. So if we have this understanding, then we can be a, a bit philosophical, even in those times where we are pulled by the sense objects, understanding that this will never really make me happy or be as permanent as bhakti can. And so as Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur points out, even if it's the case, I must reap the karmic results in my next life of whatever enjoyment is being indulged in, then, then so be it. But still, please let me be connected to you, Krishna. Let me be connected to your devotees. Because remember, the motivation of our practice isn't or shouldn't be for liberation in, in, in the full sense. It's, it's more for bhakti uh, and, and on a deeper bhakti on a deeper and steadier level. So to avoid too much des des despondency in those times, it's, it helps to understand some of the mechanics uh, of the early stages that, that bhakti is burning up our unmanifest karma first and we'll continue to do so until we're free of our karma. So as we mentioned previously, that there's a discussion there in the first wave on karma uh, that references the Padma Purana, that, and this point that uh, karma is, is eradicated through spiritual practice, um, but it doesn't disappear from day one uh, in its entirety. So as we know, uh, everyone's familiar with this concept, um, that every action has a reaction. Every action has a reaction. So there's, there's a fruit or a result for every action in this world. So a way I like to visualize it is that if we imagine a mustard seed, uh, you know, these little mustard seeds for every action we perform or every desire we have um, that a mustard seed forms, let's say. So we've had innumerable lifetimes um, that we've been collecting these mustard seeds um, and we, we're acquiring more and more with every step in the material world. So and taking this big old sack of mustard seeds with us from life to life. Um, so this sack of seeds, this is the unmanifest karma or aprarabdha karma it's sometimes referred to. So you can imagine how big this sack is that we're carrying, uh, if every action, every desire and so on. And then some of those seeds will soon be ready to manifest uh, for us to face the fruits of. So you could say, let's, you know, someone's taken a smaller sack and scooped up some of those mustard seeds uh, from the ever increasing large sack. Uh, and the, the, this smaller sack is for the very near future. So these seeds that are, are ready to be manifest, they're, they're what are, are known as kuta. They haven't risen to the point of manifesting yet in that they aren't part of our active lives, but they will be soon. And so as the seeds uh, do start to sprout, they become known as bija. So we could say, to visualize, we could say that um, some water has been put on the seeds. So, so they're in the first stage of sprouting. So at that stage, functionally, they're acting like seeds, whereas that hence the name bija, whereas previously they were dormant. So in this bija stage of karma, 
we get a hint of them manifesting in our lives in, in the form of material desires for certain things, our predispositions to act in certain ways. So you can understand it, it's a more perceptible um, form of karma, but yet the karma hasn't fully manifested yet. And then uh, when the seed fully blossoms and manifests in our life, uh, this is the prarabdha karma or the manifest karma. We, we taste the fruits of the karma, whether those fruits are sweet or they're bitter. And so even though we taste the fruits, uh, how we react to them determines whether we create more karma or the kind of karma we create. So obviously the nuances of karma are a complex, very complex topic and beyond my brain. But when we take up spiritual practice, as we know, uh, the, these seeds aren't gone in an instant, but they, are, they do start to be destroyed in reverse order. So we understand in bhakti in the early stages, we, we've all heard this many times, cheto darpanam marjanam, that this chanting of the holy name cleanses uh, the dust on the mirror of the heart. So this dust on the mirror of the heart are all these seeds that we've been collecting. Uh, and bhakti is so powerful that, um, that an untold amount of mustard seeds are being burnt up in our karmic sacks. So, um, you know, going previous to the aprarabdha karma, the unmanifest karma, that ever-increasing sacks, so much of that is just being burnt away and burnt away. Every little bhakti we do, even as we know, unknowing bhakti has that power also. Uh, what to speak of fixed and focused uh, bhakti. So... Uh, further, we might even see our predispositions start to change. Whereas, let's say, you know, we might have had a predisposition for partying in nightclubs. Now we might find ourselves more attracted to kirtan gatherings, let's say, you know, just, just as a, uh, an example. But obviously there's more to it than that. But um, if we understand what's happening, that, then we don't need to be too disheartened when it's time to taste some of our fruits. Because remember that... Uh, through the power of bhakti, these things will go. Uh, if we And if we do unplug ourselves or find ourselves being thrown totally off course, although naturally there should be some remorse there, we, we, we shouldn't let it paralyze us from, from continuing the practice uh, where we left off. Um, and so that brings me to the other side, I think worth pointing out and discussing a little, is although I know that the viewers here are pure hearted in their aim, and so I'm likely, you know, speaking to the choir, preaching to the choir, as they say. Um, but, you know, I tried to preach to myself also that I, I've seen sometimes these verses might be taken as a reason to not strive to deepen our bhakti. Sometimes maybe developing a, a liberation kind of mentality in the sense that, well, bhakti will burn up all my karma. Um, you know, it'll, it'll burn up all my karma. I, I'm guaranteed a human form next life, right? So as long as I plug in here and there, I'll be okay at the end of this life. I'll be okay. And may, maybe become a bit, um, uh, uh, just, yeah, not, not so determined in our bhakti, let's say. Um, but but they, will, they will be burnt up, um, our karmas. But again, to the degree we engage in the practice, so if we haven't attained bhava, or, or at least ruchi, where material desires are retired, but I believe bhava is where full liberation is said to be, you know, free, completely free from any tinge um, of material um, influence, then, then there's still a stock of seeds gradually being burnt up in the background. And, and we also see from the mood of the verse, that Krishna says the devotee does feel some remorse. 
Otherwise, it can be nam apparad. We've all heard these, these 10 offenses to the holy name of performing sinful activities on the strength of the name. So, um, you know, as devotees and devotees shouldn't get neurotic to the point of abandoning bhakti because even like maybe a fear of, well, I'm going to be committing apparad uh, because I've doing these things. There should be some remorse there, of course, but we should understand it's not favorable for my bhakti and pray to come to a stage where we aren't distracted by these things, whatever they may be. So I, I guess what I'm saying, yeah, I'm, that we shouldn't try to justify our bad habits just because we are devotees of sorts, uh, that, we, that we may have strong attachment and we may need to do some work to overcome them. And sometimes by our spiritual practice, Krishna may keep bringing things up again and again that we need to face. But we shouldn't try to justify using these points of Krishna, this merciful nature of his, as a reason to overindulge. Though we, we should refine and neglect our bhakti practices, most importantly, to ne neglect our bhakti practices. We, we should refine our mood and pray for help to overcome these ob our obstacles. Um, again, not in an obsessive way, but recognizing that taking shelter of bhakti will help us more and more, especially as we develop more of a taste for higher things. Um, so we've all been touched by bhakti in some way. So it's, it's not that we need to practice other things and give up the practices of di direct bhakti. Although we may do other things uh, in the form of Europa Siddha Bhakti, for example, it's something we may get into next week. Uh, but the point is, it's not just about um, using the philosophy and merciful nature of bhakti to not want to overcome our attachments, but should just be really honest with ourselves and Krishna uh, about where we are and know, okay, I'm attached or sometimes maybe I'm struggling with whatever it is I may struggle with, but I know Krishna will help me overcome these things and become steady. So no, knowing where we are on the map and acting as needed it's not about um, justifying the things, but knowing where they, but rather knowing where they come from and having patience while, while taking shelter of bhakti, Re refining our, our understanding or our mentality toward things. And, and then we can come to embrace this 1111 verse more because we'll, we'll continue to practice despite whatever may come from our previous karma. Of course, the more we do engage ourselves in bhakti, the more our obstacles will lift as more of the seeds and the seedlings are being burnt up and so on. But even if we can't do anything else, we're so overcome by our material conditioning that it seems impossible to engage in any sort of bhakti practice. There, there's a really nice quote uh, that my wife really likes. She has on a little card that um, Ramanujacharya says, um, and is quoted by um, Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur in the Bhakti Loka. He says, if you cannot purify yourself by any endeavor whatsoever, then just go sit with the Vaishnavas and you will achieve all auspiciousness. And of course, we're very fortunate in that we can sit with the Vaishnavas every day in some form or other, thanks to the power of the internet and live streaming and these, these kind of things. So, so we're, we're very fortunate actually that, that we have that opportunity. Um, so with that, if in time uh, with practice, our karma will be burnt up, that the dust of the heart will be cleansed through the power of bhakti and especially the chanting of the holy name and sadhu sangha, of course, and, and especially uh, if we're refining our desire to do so with the purest intention we can, do we have any real obstacles? And so in one sense, no, 
because by the nature of sincerity, it's true, we will make progress, even if we have to work some things out. But at times, due to being overwhelmed by our false identification with the mind, for example, and maybe being a bit frustrated uh, with where we actually are on the path uh, when we're faced with our material conditioning, it's easy, and that can be discomforting, and it's easy to ignore or repress the discomfort of where we actually are and project that onto others. And, and this can be dangerous. And unfortunately, I'm sure you're, you're all aware in, in this time, these times especially, that this is rife in, in this age of social media, this increased fault finding and criticism of everyone else's position on the path, uh, but our own. Uh, you know, as we know, this can easily spiral into Vaishnav Aparad, which can cause real blockages on, on the path uh, in, in varying degrees. Now, it's one thing, you know, we shouldn't, we should have a, a good understanding of Vaishnav Aparad, and that it's, it's one thing to critique a person's philosophical understanding, uh, with, with, backed up by Shastra, of, of course, with, with a desire to help them grow, if we have the Shastra Yukti to do so in the first place. Um, and if we have, and if we have that kind of relationship with them, but it's another thing to blast someone personally, as if we have access to their hearts, and you know, especially it's coming from a place of we're uncomfortable with ourselves, and it's coming from a place of wanting to feel superior or beyond the actual struggles we face ourselves in the stage of unsteady practice, and of course. This is nothing new in history, um, but unfortunately, it is becoming an increasing phenomenon uh, with the rise of social media and this extra layer of distance it creates between people, an extra layer of impersonalism, impersonalism you could say. So, so it's, it's a shame when devotees are calling each other demons, for example, for having a different understanding, or sometimes even based on relative considerations, and it's not something healthy um, to feed. Um, it's better to focus on one's own bhakti and to eliminate uh, the demons that the majority of us have to deal with ourselves. So it also means uh, with this type of mentality, we're unlikely to be able to go really go and sit with the Vaishnavas. So, so we need to refine this mentality if we find it rising in ourselves. Now, as I say, so much can be said on the dangers of Vaishnava Aparad. And a series, a whole series could be, could be focused on that for sure. And I think most devotees are aware um, of, the, of these things, uh, of the mad elephant offense, as it's sometimes referred to. And we'll, we'll also discuss the limbs of bhakti next week. Um, but one of the practices seen as a door for entering bhakti is not tolerating criticism of the Lord or his devotee. But in the context of this discussion, I want to make a few points in not letting ourselves be taken taken away by the mentality that can lead to it. Uh, the best defense is a good offense, as the saying goes. Our, our Guru Maharaj sometimes likes to quote this quote. Um, the best defense is a good offense. So first, I, I want to preface by saying that, as with all things, it's not something we should become neurotic about. If we're sincerely aware of and working on our own inner demons, then it's unlikely we're going to have a tendency for Vaishnava Aparad. But it can be a great obstacle for some. Now, all apparad is, of course, a great obstacle. But in time, with sincerity and recognizing them, good sadhu sangha and, and these kind of things, and the power of bhakti, the, these things will also go. 
But Vaishnava Parad, as Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur earlier said, the quote we read earlier, can also lead us to performing more unfavorable acts on one level, but in its most severe form, it can even uproot bhakti, or at least have very strong lingering effects, even into the stage of bhava, when, when it's towards the highest, highest devotees. Um, so it has, you know, spiritual effects also, um, not just, you know, the karmas to deal with. Uh, or extra mustard seeds, it, it, it's a much stronger force. Um, and even on a lower platform, toward any lover of God or someone striving to be a lover of God, it's the greatest obstacle because as we know, the devotees are most dear to Krishna. And so when, when we're having malicious or extremely negative mentalities to the individuals themselves, we're, we're going against the nature of bhakti. As we know, this, this word aparad means to go against radha or against bhakti, as you all know. And we don't really know anyone else's heart but our own. Uh, so we always, we always risk being offensive to someone on a greater level than we may be able to perceive. So what, what is a Vaishnav? Um, I'd like, just like to read a little excerpt from um, an article by Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur on Vaishnavaninda or criticism of the Vaishnava, where he says, having thus been warned about offending Vaishnavas, it is essential to first ascertain who is a Vaishnava and understand which activities cause Vaishnava aparad. All jivas belong to one of four categories, ordinary jivas, religious jivas, brahmanas, and Vaishnava prior jivas, those who resemble Vaishnavas, and Vaishnava jivas. With the understanding that Sri Krishna resides in all beings, one should show respect to every jiva, Amongst them, some special honor should be shown to religious jivas. It is an essential duty to show honor to the Brahmana jiva and the Vaishnava prior jiva, or those who resemble Vaishnavas. And we are instructed to worship the feet of the Vaishnava jiva. If we neglect to show respect to the ordinary jivas, special honor to the religious jiva, and proper respect to the Brahmana jivas and Vaishnava prior jivas, then we invite sin upon ourselves. But to show disrespect or dishonor to a Vaishnav jiva is an aparad. Performing ordinary penances can erase so many sins, but an aparad is not dispelled so easily. Sins influence the gross and subtle bodies. Aparad specifically affects the jiva's very soul and causes him to fall down. Thus, whoever wishes to perform bhajan of the Lord must guard against committing aparad. This is compulsory. So there are, of course, different opinions on when one really is a Vaishnava. When is one really a Vaishnava? Um, but internally, we, we don't want to develop unfortunate attitudes toward other Vaishnavas, even if at this point they or we are just resembling Vaishnavas. We, we know that all jivas should be shown respect. And even those who resemble Vaishnavas, by not showing proper respect, then it can create us more obstacles in the form of sin. But even more so if they are actually Vaishnavas. And of course, uh, we don't know anyone's heart, as I say. So it, it can affect our, our progress on a deep level. So it's worth refining this mentality and tendency if we recognize it in ourselves. And if it comes up, nipping it in the bud. It's, it's dangerous, even if we think. I've seen sometimes... Um, this kind of mentality can be there that we think, ah, that person's not a real Vaishnav in the full sense of the term. He's not in Bhava or, or even in Ruchi. 
or he has so many bad qualities. So I, I can have an attitude towards him all I like. He's not a real Vaishnav, but it's dangerous because apart from uh, us not being able to fully recognize, um, it's also cultivating a certain mentality that might end up leading to Aparad toward a Vaishnava in the fullest sense in the future, because we don't understand something about them and it may not fit within our conception of how, how, how one should act on that level. So in the Bhagavatam, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, he makes this point in the fifth canto, um, 5826. Uh, so this is in the context of Bharat Maharaj. So, so most of you will be familiar with this pastime of Bharat Maharaj. He became attached to a deer. Um, and so, so Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur makes this point that sometimes the prarabdha karma or the manifest karma is an arrangement of Krishna's. So he says there, there are two kinds of prarabdha karma, shobhana and ashobhana, beautiful and not beautiful. <laughs> the first one is like a biting eye ointment administered by the Lord, who is dear to his bhakta, which serves to increase the devotee's eagerness to attain him, and which is freely or independently bestowed by this clever Lord. It appears to be just like ordinary prarabdha, this is even possible to happen to those who've attained rati or bhava bhakti level. The second type of prarabdha is made of one's old karma and is caused by absorption in the sense objects. The former shobhana is mentioned in this verse. So it's quite powerful, right? The, and, and the point is that unless we're at least at the stage of nishta ourselves, or ideally higher, but at least at nishta where one is likely a madhyamadikari, and has the scriptural discrimination to see things as they are, unclouded by one's own conditioning, then it can be dangerous to start criticizing and de I mean, we shouldn't criticizing and demonizing at any level because the higher Vaishnava will obviously do it out of compassion to help rectify the person. But it's very dangerous at this, this level, especially to be criticizing or demonizing someone else's material problems, as we may maybe even creating a serious problem to our own spiritual lives. So it can be better to err on the side of caution. Now, of course, that doesn't mean uh, just to make clear that we turn a blind eye to things uh, that we can see are wrong behaviors. I think that's an important um, thing that we should understand also. Personally speaking, I, I've had bad experiences with devotees who are far from the mark, let's say. Um, but we, we should refine our vision to remember that even if it's even that is something not directly connected to the actual person underneath all that, you know, as Jesus said, hate the sin, not the sinner. It doesn't mean that we need to have faith in someone as being our leader or guru or a high Vaishnava um, if we don't have the faith. You know, faith can't be managed, um, as we know. And it's not, a, it's, it's not uh, you know, a need to have some weird kind of acceptance of problems as being absolutely fine on the relative level and then not dealt with appropriately, especially if it's something that's having a direct impact on others' lives. It, it should be dealt with, of course. Um, but we should also, Guru Maharaj often makes this point that we should also be gracious, you know, that, that we, we, we should be gracious with one another. Because um, it's likely uh, for many of us, you know, we're struggling with many attachments of our own and many problems of our own. And unless we're in a direct position to help such a person, our time and our energy would be better spent on deepening our own practice so that we can help others come beyond their conditioning eventually too.
And as I say, I'm not suggesting we become blind to, to problems where there are problems, or if it's in our particular jurisdiction or our field of activities, you know, and we can take measures to protect those who can be affected, then certainly we, we should. But my, my point is more one of refining our inner feeling toward any, any devotee, e even while doing so, even if they're the most degraded and mixed materialistic uh, devotee there is, uh, we definitely don't want to be developing an inimical attitude toward another Vaishnava. To develop a malicious attitude toward anyone uh, or an inimical attitude will never be helpful in our bhajan, especially when we have quite a number of mustard seeds to burn up ourselves. So if we refine that, refine that, that then all will follow. Um, and, and actually, uh, there won't in the grand grand scheme of things, there won't be any real obstacle. Uh, I think the example in the prayers of Devaki Nandan Das Thakur in his Vaishnava Vandan are really instructive. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, Devaki Nandan Das Thakur, he was formerly known as uh, Gopal, Chap Go Gopal Chapala. Um, so this, this pastime is described in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that he offended um, Srivas Thakur. He put things in front of uh, his, outside his home, in front of his door, uh, that were usually offered to, um, I think, I believe it was to Durga, to, or to, to a goddess at least, uh, that liked, liked wine and other nasty things um, in front of his house. So he put, put in front of his house so, so that all the Vaishnavas and others would believe he was a demigod worshiper. And, and so later, when Lord Chaitanya came back from Puri, after he had taken sannyas, he told Gopal Chapel, uh, take shelter of Srivas Thakur. And so, he, so this Gopal Chapel, he became Devaki Nandan Das Thakur. And he wrote these beautiful prayers. I highly recommend reading all, the, the, all of the prayers. But I'm, I'm just going look to at, look at two verses today. Um, and so in his prayers, there's this nice mood of offering respect to all devotees that were, all, all that are, and all that will be. So that includes those who may not be there yet, like maybe ourselves for some of us, by, but by sincerely continuing to strive in that direction, will one day be so when Krishna desires it. So these verses, this is verses five and six. With upraised arms, I pray to the feet of all of Goranga's bhaktas in whichever country they may reside. Holding a straw between my teeth, I submit at the feet of all servants of Mahaprabhu that were or will be. So we want to develop a mentality like this. Now, it might not always be easy, especially when we're faced with the conditioning of others and ourselves, and what to speak of the combination of the two, <laughs> as we know, it's not always so easy. Um, but I would say our only real obstacle are our own mentalities, which if we can refine in the direction, for example, of the Shikshashtakam, we will overcome no problem in the due course of time. Um, so we, we may struggle with embodying this third verse, this famous third verse of Shikshashtakam, often, you know, said, we're around your neck, this verse, this Trinada Pisuni Chena. Um, so this, this third verse, remember, actually, this is correlated, uh, you may be familiar, correlated with someone at Nishta. So 
we might not be able to fully embrace that verse. Uh, we're, we're refining our attitudes and our understandings so we can come to this stage of nishta, our interim goal. So we may not always truly on a deep level be embodying this third verse, although certainly we should strive for it. We should strive for it. And, and the humility we can take, even if we can't embody the humility there in the third verse that will, will be there naturally for someone at nishta, the humility we can take is shown in the second verse, the Shikshashtakam, that I, I don't have taste for the holy name, Lord. You know, I don't have taste for the practices of bhakti. I've got these obstacles. So I'm not more tolerant than a tree. I'm not more humble than a blade of grass. I do want respect for myself. And I'm not so prepared to give respect to all others, especially those irritating ones, you know. But please, Krishna, you know, I pray, please help me to help, help, help me to come to that stage. And, and that's the desire, I, you know, we should have. Let, let's have that desire to go in the direction of that verse. So please nip any negative attitudes in the bud when they come up that I have towards practitioners um, on this path of bhakti. Just, you know, for whatever reason it may be, uh, whether it's coming from ego or maybe there is some, you know, some, some, something real there and these kind of things. But to nip them in the bud when they arise in ourselves and help us to learn and grow from even them, even if it's from a distance, uh, and, and, to, and help us to genuinely embrace this third verse so that we can chant always, Sadar Hari. And, and this kind of chanting is what will counteract all, all our karma, even all our apparats, uh, if we don't continue feeding them, of course, um, and we work to overcome them. Um, and th and th then we'll be able to embrace this 1111 and, and attain the perfection of selfless service to Krishna. So, um, I mean, lo lots can be said on that. And obviously, th there are lots of nuances. Um, but I think I'll end there, just, just looking at the time. Um, and then open up if there's there's any um, corrections or insights um, or questions, of course. Um, and yeah, so please feel free to unmute yourself. And remember also to click on interpretation English um, or Spanish, maybe for the Spanish speaking devotees. Haribo. Haribo. It's Shamananda here. Hare Krishna Shamananda. Haribo. Thank you so much for the class. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, and uh, you mentioned that you, you might bring up next time the, um, the term Aropsida Bhakti. Mm. And, and to me, like that term se seems to, to more like directly mean uh, dovetailing, mm. whereas Whereas, um, uh, what is the other, the yukta, yukta Vairagya is, is also dovetailing, but like, as it's, as it says in the verse, it's, uh, dovetailing things that you're not attached to. Mm. Um, so if you want to comment on, of course, you, you, like you may speak on this next time, maybe, but I just wanted to. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think you're spot on actually. And, and maybe, maybe I shouldn't have been using the term Yukta Vairagya. In, in every sense, I, I guess, I guess, like you say, the way, way I've understood um, Aropa Siddha Bhakti, um, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, I mean, there, obviously there are many aspects to understanding it. What one is kind of like the Bhakti version in the school of Uttama Bhakti, that version of Nishkama Karma Yoga, for example. Um, and like, like you say, it, it's, it's the, 
we, we have, have uh, material attractions and material desires for things. And then we, we offer them to Krishna, um, you know, as, as kind of like, it's still because I want to enjoy them, you know, but so, so that we can purify them, have, make, make them become um, transcendentalized, so to speak, um, you know, and, and make progress in that direction. But also, I believe, um, or at least as I, I've heard sometimes, it can even refer to those activities that aren't directly the activities of bhakti. So in, in terms of, you know, the angas of bhakti or the limbs of bhakti, that we you, you, you will read the, six, the 64 main angas, for example, that Rupa Goswami brings up. Um, and we'll, we'll explore those for sure next time, some of them. But, um, but whereas those, because of the practices themselves, they're, they're, they're infused, let's say, with sarup shakti, um, then that, that, that's why they're so powerful, you know, there's such powerful practices that even someone can do, do those kind of practices unknowingly in a mixed form and these kind of things and get some kind of benefit and, and, and these things. Where, whereas, um, uh, I guess this is where the shades might be. And, and I, I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm no expert on these things. So, so maybe I'm, I'm misunderstanding the terms, but Yukta Vairagya could, could include Aropa Siddha Bhakti, for example, um, but it could also include um, the angas of bhakti. Um, so let's say if someone's doing aropa siddha bhakti um, or, or an aspect of that, then it could be that I, I want to enjoy this ice cream, so I offer it to Krishna. Um, and so I, I'm offering it to Krishna, and then I'll in, enjoy the ice cream. But the kind of you know the, the initial thing behind it was you know it's something I'm I'm attached to really. I want to enjoy this kind of thing. But also, it could, it could be that, you know, I'm brushing my teeth. Guru Maharaj sometimes gives this example of I'm brushing my teeth and brushing your teeth isn't really an anger of bhakti in, in the fullest sense. But you're, you're um, because you're, you're seeing your body as, um, as a sadhaka deha, you know, that, that we're sadhakas, we're practitioners of bhakti and like that. But you're taking care of Krishna's body and these kind of things. Um, and so, and, and so then, but then another aspect of, of yukta varagya, let's say, um, can be, a, 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 you know, utilizing the material energy. Um, so, so let's say in, in a direct anger of bhakti, kirtan, harmonium in and of itself, as we know, a harmonium isn't, uh, you know, um, made of uh, sarup shakti in and of itself, let's say, you know, it's, um, it, it's an instrument that was created you know, however many years, I think 100, 200 years ago, whatever, whatever, uh, even in, in, in Europe. Uh, but as we know, it's, it's, it's so highly utilized in, um, in Kirtan uh, around the world. It, it's, it's, so in that sense, you know, there's Yukta Vairagya there. So correct me if I'm wrong, Prabhu, because may, maybe you've looked into it more. I, I've not, to be honest. But I, the way I'd understand is Yukta Vairagya could contain any of those things. Um, but yeah, please, Prabhu, if, if you'd like to, if that's okay, or if there's anything you'd add to that. I'm, I'm not like prepared in, in any way to like, to correct or, <laughs> I was just, this is like what I remember hearing this, that, that Yukta Vairagya is, is uh, specifically things you're not attached to. I think the word okay. is maybe, I think the word in there is Nirbandha, uh, uh, Nir, Nirbandha Krishna Sambande, something like this. Um, okay. Well, then, thank you for sharing, because yeah, that's <laughs> I'll correct my misunderstanding on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, we'll, we'll, uh, mm. Sorry, please. 
Oh, yeah, because uh, the Aropsida the, the Bhakti is, is the one that I seek, uh, is the one that could include both. Like, the, for example, growing flowers is not Bhakti, but if you, if, if you're a Pujari and you, you're, you're like growing flowers so that you have something to offer, then, then, then that becomes Bhakti. But, but also you could, I think Jiva Goswami in Bhakti Sandarbha uh, quotes the um, Yatkaroshi verse from Bhagavad Gita when he talks about Aropsida Bhakti that like whatever you do, do it for, uh, do it for me. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, some thoughts. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, oh, wonderful. Thank you. That's it. The power of Sadhu Sangha, right? That <laughs> we, we learn and we grow also. Um, but yeah, so I'll certainly I'll, I'll study that um, for next time. I'll, I'll look more in. And so thank you for, for, sharing, okay. for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hare Krishna. I have, a, I have a comment, but I don't know if I can be heard because I don't have. Yeah, I, I can hear whoever that is. I'm not sure. Oh, okay, it's Mahara. Thank you. Uh, that was, a, that was a great class. Thank you. And in regards to criticizing devotees, I was reading in Nara Hari Sarakara Thakur Sri Krishna Bhajan that um, even if one is fallen and, you know, has engaged in bhakti but has fallen at the time, um, that the fire of Krishna consciousness is within them. And eventually, it will burn up all their material mm -mm -mm desires. So, oh, beautiful. Yeah. So oh, thank you. For always to, yeah, to never criticize anyone because it's not good. It, and, and it can always come back on us too. Mm. Yeah, I've I've sometimes heard um, Guru Maharaj make this point. Uh, Guru Maharaj make this point that. Um, you know, obviously, on a relative platform, there are, there are, you know, you could say some activities that are more heinous than others and these kind of things. But for us as individuals, the, the biggest obstacle are those obstacles that we're facing ourselves, right? Like, it's not that this obstacle is worse than um, that person's obstacle, or that person's obstacle is worse than our obstacle, because what's worse is the thing that's blocking us ourselves, right? The thing that's in front of us. So that's, that's probably the better place to focus our energy and, and our, our practice. Yeah. yeah, that's so true. Thank you. No, thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. And any other um, thoughts or questions um, before we, we wrap up? Okay, well, thank you all for, for joining and, um, and we'll continue next week. Um, and I think it'll be the final one next week also. So, Vanchakalpatarubhyas cha, Kripasandubhya eva cha, Patitanam bhavanebhyo, Vaishnavebhyo, Namo Namaha. Hare Krishna. Patan Mohan Prabhu ki jai. Jai.